Hello, and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we discuss trailers, movies, TV shows, and all things pop culture. Today, we'll be talking about HBO's House of the Dragons, Episode 9, The Green Council. My name is Emmett, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and Monsters, Inc. U alumni, I've Don't forget your paperwork. That's my best impression <laughs> I could come up with. That's <laughs> that was that was really good. That was a that was a good Sully. Roz is the best character <laughs> out of all of Disney Pixar. Like I can't think of another character, side character that made such an impact. I I love when Pixar like you know showed us what the wor- real world of being an adult was, but we just didn't pick up on it. I'm like, just that- a big fan of strong independent women through the animated movies like Roz. Is strong, independent? Roz? She was, wasn't she? I don't know. She was she's been she's a career woman. She's been working that paper line for <laughs> forty years. Well work it, Roz. She got this. She's she's absolutely <laughs> slaying all that paperwork. I uh I never actually saw Monsters Thank You. Was it good? I was about to tell you the same exact <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just my, um, it didn't, like, honestly, to be honest, I thought it was a direct-to-video uh, release when it first came out. Well, I know it's been out for a long time, and I've just never made the time for it. Maybe now's the time with our Disney Plus subscriptions. That's true. I should I should get more out of it. If Roz is be- not in the first 15 minutes, though, I'm shutting it off. <laughs> like a young Roz? Yeah, but with the same voice. I, I will not tolerate Obviously. I will not tolerate any different Roz, no Roz slander on this podcast. <laughs> I love it. Hey, Ivan, got a burning question for you. Shoot, what you got? What is on your wall this week? Oh, my God. Dude, I've got a list of 17 different exciting things that we could spend a full hour on. Okay, now, <laughs> now pick one of those and spend two minutes on. <laughs> oh, that's so hard. Man. Um, I'll, 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 I'll go with Andor. Because I feel like I'm finally caught up on on the series, and we haven't talked about it, and it's been a show that I feel like a lot of people are sleeping on, just based off of uh, the viewership data that's come out. Have you gotten a chance to check it out at all? I'm a non-viewer, and I'm not asleep, though. <gasps> that's blasphemy, Emmett. <laughs> um, honestly, like I gotta, I gotta say, um. Everybody's saying that this is a very different take from Star Wars because I feel like everybody's looking to say that kind of thing every time something new comes out, right? But well, you would know. <laughs> not not spoiling anything like that's of importance, but within the first five minutes of the first episode, um, we're introduced to the concept of Star Wars brothels, which we okay. know is out there, right? Just look at Jabba's palace, but. I've never seen Star Wars as gritty as this show kind of presents it. It's more of a drama than it is anything else. There's not too much action going on, but this is like solid character building, and I've been enjoying it week over week. And I, yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't have enough positive things to say about it. Um, Again, I've been trying to hold off on like really giving an opinion because you know. But now that we're six episodes in, I feel like it's been consistent for me. Yeah. Two uh, questions: Are is it done, or how many episodes is it going to be? I believe there's uh, six more episodes left. It's going to be a twelve episode season. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep waiting. That way, in case I like it, then I can just binge the whole thing. 
But uh, second question, is the lead guy less whiny in this show? I don't remember him being whiny at all. Oh, please. He was a little baby. He was always like <laughs> yelling like, I'm, I'll kill who I have to kill. Okay. Like, it, it was so lame. I'll say I'll say this. He's, he, he doesn't come across to me as whiny. Um, but I, I do feel like, like, I like his character well enough. I feel like it's also kind of a bias because I really like Diego Luna's um, like most of the projects that he's been involved with, in particular the narco season recently. Uh, but in this show, I feel like I'm a little bit more attached to the other characters' stories, more so than I am Andor, if only because I know where Andor ultimately ends up. You know, so it kind of takes a little bit of that away. But mm. it's like, for example, we get a view into Mon Mothma. We get a view into this new character called Luthen. Who I feel like steals every um, every scene he's in, and it's just like this feels like an HBO show on Disney Plus. Hmm. It's the only way that I can kind of describe it, and like I've been having so much fun with it. It's it's the 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 day to day characters living in the Star Wars universe that kind of get portrayed and highlighted here. So I'm really liking it, and I never thought I would like a very grounded Star Wars this way, but I do, and I'm just. I'm here for it. <laughs> no, I have heard uh, other positive reviews from sources I trust as well. So I, I am going to give it a try. I, I think it is just, you know, a victim of timing where I don't want to have three shows at one time where I'm waiting on a week to week for each episode. I just hate having to like think about plots that way. You know, what it's I mean? also like nothing is calling your attention as a Star Wars fan in particular. You know, like there's no big character here. There's no Jedi. There's no Sith. There's none of that. So it's kind of one of those things that you could easily just kind of brush aside. But I, I honestly, like, I do feel like once this is all the episodes are released, you should give it a shot. I feel like they didn't like it. Yeah, I will. Good review. I for the the whole week I just had one, and then and today, you know, I got a little curveball coming at me. Uh, this whole week I've been catching up on Welcome to Wrexham. Have you watched the show on FX? Oh no, but it's it's on my list. That's the Ryan Reynolds. Is it a documentary or a mockumentary? No, it's a real documentary. It's it literally is like Hard Knocks, like HBO's Hard Knocks meets uh, Ted Lasso. Yeah, it's Ryan Reynolds and Rob McEnany uh, bought the Wrexham football league team. That's like below the pyramid of like Premier League and all that. They're like so far down, and they're trying to get out of it. It's so interesting. Uh, I I crushed the entire season in one week. It's so good. It's like half hour episodes. Um, and it's like. It's different than Hard Knocks because it's not just about like these two guys and their whole journey. It's a lot of that, but it's also really just like. Showing us this town and the people who live in it and who are the fans and like it's it's really, really cool to like see as a project. Yeah, I got to check it out. I've been seeing a lot of positive buzz surrounding the show, and it's it's a couple weeks old at least at this point. Yeah, it's totally uh, the first season's totally done, um, and it's one of those things too where it's like it's a sports team, so I know or I should know how it ends, and I could just look it up, but like I refuse to look at the end of the season stats just to like be able to be in the moment of the show and just like watch their actual reactions and not know what's going to happen next. Uh, but yeah, it was really good. Um, there was going to be a season two, but it's also like one of these things where it's like, I 
I want there to be like just endless seasons of, but then I also realized that in order to make it, they pretty much have to have a film crew in their lives like 24 <laughs> seven. Right. Which is a lot to ask for. So Ryan Reynolds did in fact purchase a soccer team essentially. For this. Yeah. So Rob like brings him into the idea of it. Cause Rob, uh, what he says in the opening line, and I think he did it on a few talk shows as well as like, I have TV show money, but I need like movie star money and I really need like superhero movie star money. So he like brings in Ryan to be most of the bankroll. And every time they like their team loses, Ryan's just like, what did you get me into? <laughs> it's so good. Like Ryan's actually like such a funny person. It, it, it really is one of those things where it like makes you feel like, you know, them in real life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I saw somebody compare it to like, giving you insight into that into the team and that dynamic the way that like youtube vloggers kind of do by filming the day-to-day but with like a lot more obviously like a higher quality of uh production there yeah and i think it's also like that other netflix show drive to survive which brought so many people into the f1 world like all my friends are watching f1 um, races on the weekends because they watch that show and i think that's going to happen a lot with soccer which is really cool because it's like that's the biggest sport in the world other than in the U.S. Right, which I still don't understand. Or sorry, football, not soccer. <laughs> well, everywhere else, soccer is football. And over here, it's like, you know, we got American football versus soccer. Yeah, which is more like American c- concussions, but uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a different pod. <laughs> this has been a bad season. Uh, the second thing, though, is better. the second thing, though, which I think maybe we can both appreciate is that the Creed trailer Creed 3 dropped today that we're recording. Did you get a chance to watch this yet? I have not, no. Matter of fact, I did not think they even started shooting Creed 3. It looks incredible. Kang, or He Who Remains, is insanely ripped. Jonathan Abrams, he just got huge for this. Wait, okay, so I think I might have seen a promo shot then, because I did see something on social media about Jonathan Majors getting like Majors, not Abrams. Why am I thinking? Oh, that's uh, we were just talking football. Yeah, no, Jonathan Majors just got. Yeah, I think they posted like pics on Instagram of him, kind of like they did with Thor. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he is huge in this, and he's gonna be like the the um antagonist in the movie, which is gonna be so good to see him up against uh, Michael B. Jordan. Wow. Yeah, I'm seeing some previews real quick here through on my on my Facebook feed. Yeah, and I think like this is an interesting one too because it's going to be the first one without. Is this going to become like another like five movie franchise? And if it is, this is the turning point where they're going to prove that they can have a successful movie without having that pillar in it. Wait, is he's not involved at all with with this one? No. Nah. I don't. I mean, they didn't show him, and the way that they mentioned him in the trailer, it seems like he's probably like died between the second movie and now. Oh wow, that's kind of that's a little, little bold. Well, he had cancer in the first one, and then beat it, and then didn't look great in the second one. So <laughs> I think they kind of set it up that, like, all right, we gave you two extra movies. He could have died in the first one if we wanted it. <laughs> You're telling me Rocky lost a fight. But it was also see it. No, he he beat that fight and then loses round two. But the classic okay. Rocky style. <laughs> uh, no, I think 
but it, it's also that like the first two were built on one's built on Rocky, right? And then the other one was kind of built on using Rocky and also using that Drago thing. So right. it's like this franchise hasn't had a chance to stand on its own or stand like can Michael B. Jordan just lead it? And I think this is gonna be a really good one. Yeah, I guess this is the passing of the baton phase, which um, you know, I, 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 this is probably like the best way to treat that kind of thing too. Like this is where we see. If it has legs as a franchise or if it just dies with the one pillar it's had this whole time. For sure. Yeah. Hey, you want to talk some House of the Dragons? Mm, sure. <laughs> nah, nah, let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I have some strong words about this episode's um, events. The, the Green Council. Yeah, I feel like we're, we're just skipping um, spoiler stuff. So let's just get right into it, man. First off, I can't believe how gossipy things get really quickly in King's Landing. You know, because it feels like so many people found out about the King's death before some of the major characters. And it kind of had me scratching my head a little bit as to how... I guess we kind of saw it with Varys in the original series, right? Like the, the web of little spiders, as he called them. Yeah, no, I feel like Game of Thrones was pretty gossipy, where people would talk. It, it's interesting, like, how well they contained it initially, but then just went immediately into telling people. Like, they called those lords to come to them. But you had just imprisoned the handmaiden and the kid and whoever else was on the waitstaff that knew about it to not have that secret spread. But then you immediately tell people about it. Like, well, what's the thinking here? Yeah, there, there was some. Um, I guess they like. I don't know. Like, they, they did. They definitely didn't handle it as well as they should have. Like, the minute that somebody came to them with the news, I'd be like, all right, who knows? Get all of yourselves over here. Here's a bag of gold. Now go sit in this corner while I work out what I'm gonna do next. Yeah. Um. But so we get the whole scene played out in in the in the uh, the chamber room or what do you call that the the hand of the king's room where mm-hmm. they normally the council meeting room so in the books it's 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 in, in the book i guess it's just one kind of reads like a textbook but whatever uh, <laughs> it's um it's a little bit uh it's not as detailed obviously right but we do know a couple things happen and it differentiates a little bit from what happens in the show i think there's multiple fatalities in that room in in the story versus here Dang, who else would be uh bite the bullet there? So I know Lord Beesbury gets his neck slashed by uh by Sir Kristen Cole. Who... Beesbury? I've yeah, never Beesbury. heard of a Beesbury. That's his name, isn't he? The old man? That was just uh Willy Wonka for you. <laughs> Schnozberry. <laughs> he dies. <laughs> he dies in, in, in that way. <laughs> Moving <As> on. <laughs> It's debatable which which version is worse though. Like I feel like he got it a little bit worse on the show by getting his head smashed in, essentially. On, on his table. little egg. Yeah, that was really brutal. egg on his face. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> For the sake of egg on. Um, Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was pretty brutal. And also, you know what? I I can never tire of saying enough negative things about Sir Kristen Cole. Yeah, he's but, the worst. 
he's he's like the worst character ever. Um, such a simp, it, you know. And then it turns into an incel the minute he gets one simple rejection. Like, come on. He really is like holding this grudge forever, and so is Allison. But then Allison, I thought was going to move on, and I get that she genuinely is confused by the message that Viserys gave her. Like, we know what's going on, but she has no idea. And then she just hears Aegon and then Prince that was promised. So, like, I can get that she deciphered that since he was so coherent at dinner that she thinks, like, he's still speaking truths. But, like, her dad takes no pause to be like, I don't even care if you actually heard that. We're going to run with it. <laughs> right. Which is revealed. They've, he's been plotting along with some of the other lords on the council to put Aegon on the throne. Behind yeah, her back. it's crazy. They already had the action plan in place. They just needed it, to sign it. <laughs> it it also though serves to make me sympathize a little bit more with Alicent in here in the in the fact that even though she she has all this power as queen, you do still see that she gets undermined by her dad. Even even still, right? Even though she's the one that kind of got him back into that position of power, I guess in her mind she might have thought that he still had some respect. For her, in the sense that he, she would be included in any talk of this uh, of this magnitude, but apparently not. Yeah, I think she was the last episode or the episode before. Like she started realizing, like I am only ever being used as a pawn in his game. And then I think she was starting to think, like maybe he's inviting me into the fold on the ship back after uh, after the events of uh, Sandstone or wherever that place is called. But he really wasn't inviting her back in. He just needs her to be more cooperative or like right. willing to do whatever he says. So, yeah, I think this is a moment where she sees that and it, it does question, like she does question her faith a little bit because she's like, no, I don't care. Even if this isn't what the, what the king wanted, we're not going to kill his daughter and my best friend that I just made up with. Right. It was also but, surprising to see like how this whole thing played out in that sequence, right? Because you get, you clearly get the sense that there's still strain even within the council. Because besides Beesbury, it's very evident that Viserys's Lord Commander of the Kingsguard is definitely not on board. With oh, absolutely. One yeah, interesting I'm... tidbit about him, though, he's not alive in the book. Like, he's supposed to be dead decades before the start of the story. So he's kind of like a in a sense, he's almost like an original character, I guess, at this point. It's kind of interesting that he doesn't, like, his fight with Kristen Cole doesn't go anywhere. And did they let him just walk out after that? After I don't know. Yeah, like, I don't know what he did. Like, he just took off his cloak and was like, I only answer to the true king, so let me know when we have one. Like, wait, uh, what are you talking about? Pick a side here, man. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to name a king. He's also kind of like the Barristan Selmy of this mm-hmm. of this show, you know, and like the experienced fighter. And in the books too, he's like supposed to be this like well revered knight. Could probably cut down Kristen Cole with his. Oh, skill. easily, yeah. But and, and I don't understand why he wasn't allowed to do that at that minute. The the minute you know, because that's insubordination right there. That's like instant death, you know. Yeah, he just murdered a lord for really no reason. Right. And also, this this whole episode, because it's a cat and mouse chase, right, for, you know, who gets to find Aegon first? Is it going to be Allison's uh, 
segment of the of the of Team Green, or is it going to be Otto's segment of Team Green? I thought that was interesting the way that that whole thing played out. But um, I thought for for a bit that Otto had more power over Kristen Cole, but it appears that he doesn't. He's definitely just more loyal to Allison versus Otto. Yeah, I didn't get the same feeling that Otto and Kristen were aligned. I thought Kristen was definitely on Allison because he viewed Allison as anti-Rhaenyra. But yeah, I like this dynamic of, like you were talking about this cat and mouse game, where not even this, the green thread of this feud is aligned. They're fighting within their own. So like, how are they ever going to win a war against Rhaenyra? Right, who seems to have a bit of more of a united front and seems to command a bit more loyalty, at least natural loyalty versus forced by fear. Yeah, that was a painful watching the lords like bow before the uh, before Otto naming yeah. a new king. None of the high lords, though, right? Because like, I know like the, the Lannister guys on is on the council, so he's, you know, the Lannisters are obviously with the Greens, but we haven't seen, like, House Tully, we haven't seen the Blackwoods. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, like, who is who in this, because I don't really remember them ever, at, like, giving names to half those people in that room. None of those are, are the houses that we recognize, besides the Lannisters, um, none of those are the houses we recognize from the original Game of Thrones show. I think we'll we'll definitely see because um, in the preview for next week's episode they talk about uh, Storm's End, so I think we're going to see House Baratheon next week uh, again. I guess because I think we 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 saw the Lord before when Rhaenyra was looking in for, the tournament, right? Uh, no, he, I think so. But also when uh, when she was looking for who was going to who was going to be her betrothed. Oh right. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out. But like, supposedly, according to like some of the uh, interviews and promotion material that we've seen this week for the next season, it sounds like we're going to get some of the very prominent houses from the original series in season two. So we'll finally see the Starks in full. Uh, we'll go back to Winterfell. We'll start revisiting some of those places like the Eyrie. So can't wait. I know. I can't wait for the Starks. Like the the Stark family of this era in the in the books were very very interesting characters. Yeah, um, that's gonna be cool. Can we talk about Aemond real quick? Because I feel like, in I think that this this definitely does this episode sets up Aemond as the brother. I guess that uh, is almost like the parallel to to Damon in, in many ways. Yeah, a hundred percent in that. In that chase for Aegon, he is just purely like, do I even want to find my brother right now? I'm hoping I, I hope we find him and he's like, and he's dead. Right. And and the funny thing is, like, I kind of thought maybe to some extent because of how defensive he got. So there was a little uh, detail from the, the, uh, the dinner scene from last week, where as soon as uh, Rhaenyra's oldest son got up to you know, in protest of Aegon's uh, joke, Aemon is the first one to stand up on their side. So to me, I kind of thought, okay, so he's like, it's kind of like a parallel between uh, Viserys and Daemon, right? But over here, it doesn't seem like that at all. Like, whereas 
Damon does seem to generally love his brother, it sounds like Eamon is just more bothered by him. You know, like he doesn't see him as as worthy of that seat. Oh and, yeah, he, he hates everything about him, right? Because like yeah, even just like I hate that I have to say that he's married to his sister, but and and Damon's jealous of that. <laughs> like he hates <laughs> everything that Aegon is. So when Aegon makes that proposal of like just don't bring me back. Like, I'll find a ship. I'll go away. You'll never hear from me again. He is seriously considering that. Like, letting him go do yeah. that. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, had had the twins not been there, had Kristen Cole not been a part of that whole chase, I feel like it, you know, we probably would have seen Aemon on the throne and Aegon just disappear. Mm-hmm. Which we get introduced to those twins, too. Uh, Eric and Arik. <laughs> you know, if if we we did, if we were lacking more names to be confused by week over week, um, we have literal twins with a single letter that separates the differences in names. There, that's just lazy parenting. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that equivalent to or very different from buying your twin sons the same set of clothes? No, this is totally different. This is <laughs> giving them the same identity. <laughs> I, I who are they though? Are they are they highborn family or? Um, I think so. They're meant to be like uh, it's. They're not from a big house. They're from like a mid level house. But they're both in the Kingsguard. So, um, in the book, they're prominently featured only because one brother takes one side, the other brother takes the other side, as is evident on this episode, right? As they're both kind of squabbling throughout, just to kind of get each other's perspective, I guess, or, or, like, argue with each other. Yeah. Uh, there is meant to be, like, uh, in in the book, they're, they're, they are that way to show just how divided the realm ends up being over this matter. Mm. Like, some houses split between each other because of, you know, half of them stand with Rhaenyra, the other half doesn't. So, I feel like this would have been more of a powerful uh, sequence if we would have been introduced to both of these characters earlier with a little bit more depth yeah i feel like this is just kind of it felt a little bit forced to be like oh these are characters that are obviously going to be important so here you go yeah and it's also like the number one rule when you're watching a game of thrones uh type of show is don't trust anyone so when he's helping Rhaenyra's escape i'm thinking he's leading her to a trap yeah, I could see how it, how it kind of leads on there. He see, hasn't see, been me, established as like a pro Rhaenyra team, right? So it's like he, he's clearly just questioning. Like we're moving way too fast with this coup. I don't know if this is the right thing. Sure, but it's also like at the end of the day, I still assume he's going to align with the Kingsguard and with helping out the Queen, right? Though it does, you know, I think the it's interesting to see how long these characters are gonna last in terms of their setup because they are poised to do, or to be part of a couple of key events, uh, in the war. So, so this is so I I don't think we we might have touched on that a little bit, but compared to the original series, this has been very focused on just a couple of key characters. Like we haven't really transitioned from one side of Westeros to the other yet. I wonder if the introduction or the desire to push some of these other minor characters up to the forefront is going to maybe allow us to go back into that style 
of show from before because ultimately there's more characters to introduce and if they are if we are going to be traveling to other places in westeros it would be interesting to see how this show transitions from focusing on rhaenyra and alicent over to focusing on the larger uh i guess uh cast of characters it would be kind of weird if they became that type of show now though right well yes but also this is the first episode where we don't see any rhaenyra at all yeah so we got a little bit of a taste of it and it didn't feel too bad but again we had allison there as a pillar so yeah i, I think it will feel a little bit odd i guess it'll it'll all depend on the um the first episode of the next season to just kind of set up that tone but yeah, we yeah. are due for more characters, so I think it's got to go that way. Yeah, in some ways, like, this should be a show that's easier to follow because it's only been following, really, the plot of two people, like Team Green and Team uh, Black. But it hasn't been, like, easier than Game of Thrones Season 1 to follow along on, like, names and... Because they're changing the actors so many times because of these time jumps where it's like, you're not able to recognize, like, oh, yeah, that, that person's related to that person. Right. And then, and then just, like, eventually match the name in. It's like, I know the names, sort of, but the faces are different every episode. Well, this episode starts to set that up for us, I think, because we got a lot more insight into uh, Eamon. We got a lot more insight into Aegon also, who, mm-hmm. you know, has this, like, at least acknowledges that he's, he's not set for, to rule. And also the sad revelation that he he thinks his father never loved him or didn't really care for him all that much. Yeah, that was a tough conversation between him, him and his mom. But also, like, the number of, I guess, illegitimate kids he's had. <laughs> right? Like, that's that's just insane. And and the, the, the glimpse into the, the kid fighting pits, I guess, for lack of a better term there. Yeah. There was some gritty stuff in this episode, which, honestly, I missed from the original show just because I feel like the original show made a really good point of giving you the perspective of some of the common folks too right like you got the sense as to how the people felt about those about the higher lords and the houses and all that because the some of those characters like like um uh why am i blanking on her name <laughs> uh like the stark uh the, one of the stark daughters um aria aria wow i'm like really, i don't know how <laughs> it's been like. a long time <laughs> Well, Arya got to spend time with the common folks, so to speak, right? So, like, we we got some of their views and all that. And in the beginning of this season, Damon made a point that everybody within the Red Keep has no idea how the common people feel about King's Landing. Yeah, and, and we also get that entire season with the Sparrows. Right. So we get a zoomed in on, like, how the people in King's Landing are living. And this, yep. is, the, this is the most interesting thing, I think, in this episode is... What they call her, the White Worm, or the that brothel keeper? Yeah, the White Worm. I loved her in this episode so much. Like she only gets a couple minutes, but she kills it. Where it's like she does the same thing that um, Varys does in Game of Thrones, where it's like someone has to look out for the people, and power is where people say it is, where it resides, right? Yeah. So just because you're living up in the Red Keep and you have someone sitting on the throne don't think that's going to last forever because we there's more of us and we can say no when we want to or when we feel like it's been enough so do right by us or else and it's interesting because you also see like 
later on in this episode when Aegon's getting the crown, nobody like applauds for the kid until you get a couple applause and then it's like all right we'll fall in line and so it, they just need to be led correctly and then they could like overthrow anyone yeah yeah th- there's no sense of um th- i think that that's the that's to also demonstrate the large disconnect be- between the powerful and, and and the common people there uh which i feel like just based off of how this this story plays out in the book i feel like it's going to be the overall theme at the end uh, so it's nice to, to see that they're starting to thread that along. And also, like, Miseria was, was, was nice to kind of revisit here as the White Worm, because the last time we saw her was on Dragonstone, right, with uh, with Damon. Well, for a second in the last episode, too. Someone was, like, someone was, like, giving her intel on the dinner scene. Uh, just basically to establish that she does have, like, a web of spiders throughout the city. Oh, yes. Yeah, you're right. Also, just before we move out of this point, but that little kid that went and told everybody the king is dead, what was his purpose to go into the king's room? Yeah, I don't really understand why he was up there. I thought for a second that was one of uh, Damon and Rhaenyra's kids for a second. Well, they're definitely back at Dragonstone. Yeah. Because Rhaenyra's supposed to be flying back on Dragonback, which is like, if she doesn't get the news in time, does she come back and become like a prisoner there? Or, yeah, because they they weren't letting anyone leave with this news. But it's like once you start telling a few people, gossip will spread fast. But I guess right. she'll be on Dragonback, so maybe it wouldn't make sense. it wouldn't matter. Yeah, probably not. But I I'm curious about how this fallout is going to be with the common people. We're talking about like the power that resides in numbers and. It, it feels like if I was if I was a you know a person living in this city, if I was dragged to come see Aegon get a crown put on his head and being forced to applaud for him, and then you set a dragon loose on me, I would feel like I've been betrayed. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's where the later events of this story will probably kind of circle back to this same point because it's a very clear uh message i think at the end when renice finally makes her way into the dragon pit releases her dragon and yeah, we'll, we'll get to the thing in a little bit but like I, when she crashes through that and i'm pretty sure there's a number of commoners that were just killed in that scene, it like, was carelessly. millions yes <laughs> and i think or that hundreds the, of thousands yeah like at least a couple hundred because that, that's a massive dragon yeah, you know, it was and, huge. And also the fact that um get, to get your read on this, right? So let's just talk about this scene real quick. Cause <laughs> to quickly finish my point about the commoners there, you know, they were stepped on as a show of force against House Green, right? The the high towers. Mm-hmm. Uh but like there was no mind paid to them. They were just kind of collateral damage there. Which I, I know, like to your point, I think that they'll they'll remember that, you know. And and I think that that's something that neither of the two sides kind of acknowledge yet. Well, there's certainly a fallout between the commoners and the Targaryens, right? Like by the time that um, Ares is in charge, he's right. going to burn them all, yelling at about the the commoners like clearly the tensions will only like 
increase throughout time. But I mean, we know in Game of Thrones that they're constantly just stepped on. But it, it, it was a real parallel to me, at least of that moment with um, King Joffrey when he has like the, the mud pie thrown at him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they start that riot in the streets. Like the people don't care if they're hungry and if they're like feel like they've been pushed around enough, they will not care what the repercussions are for acting out. Did you notice that the like Otto was constantly yelling to open the doors to the dragon pit and there were gold cloaks that were deliberately trying to close it? Yeah, I mean like well how how well does his voice carry over that room and when a dragon is like screaming and debris is falling and people are screaming and trying to get out and I don't right. know why they're sh- I guess they're shutting the door because they don't want they want to contain the threat, but Well, that's what I was kind of getting to cuz I think that they're thinking so remember there's a line earlier that Otto says where he says they need to do he's listing out what they have to do but he says that there's a number of gold cloaks that are still loyal to Damon yeah I thought he was saying like there was a number like two commanders that were loyal and would command the other gold cloaks to do as as Damon would want yeah well I wonder if that meant if the gold cloaks were deliberately trying to trap them in with the giant freaking dragon that just crashed through the it's possible i would view that more as like a dragon is loose let's not let it out on the city maybe i don't know i i'm kind of thinking because of the nature of deception on the show that that's may have some for sure that's awfully quick thinking for some you know random foot soldiers to put together yeah. Like I would think, you know, they're at the very basic of their nature is that they're supposed to protect the city. And you know, that seems the most logical thing is like keep the dragon in the pit. Which is like really impressive how big that pit is cuz if that a dragon that size is fitting beneath the stage, you know there's like 10 more under there <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Well, remember how giant that thing was, at least the the rub- the the uh, yeah, the rubble of it from the meeting in season eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. One confession, real quick. So last time we hopped onto, uh, what? Well, last time we hopped online and played some duos on Fortnite, I had the opportunity to take out this one person right before I tried to revive you, but I took too long, and ended up getting offed myself. Um, similarly, in this episode. <laughs> Rhaenys had the going. very key opportunity <laughs> to take out all of Team Green right there, and she did not. Yeah, this is a great question. Uh, and my dad texted me as soon as he was done watching. Is like, why didn't she just burn him? And then I saw a million memes of like people being like me yelling Dracarys at the TV with like people <laughs> panicking. Like, I would say she wants to see it played out. I don't think she's pro uh, Rhaenyra because she's still uh, Rainy still holds Rhaenyra guilty for what happened to Lanor. So I would I think she wants to see Allison like team green go against team black and destroy each other and then either swoop in for the throne herself or just you know get to watch her enemies fight. That's so, that's how I would view it. Yeah. I don't know what your take is. And you obviously know kind of where this is going, but uh, sometimes they deviate a bit from the books as well. Yeah, they could. I, I feel like they might not too much with this, but like my so separating that from, from my take here, 
I have a different opinion, right? Like some people were a little upset about the scene apparently on social media because they were like, oh, like it was a clear, like this was just a um, show of force to do like a girl power scene. I was like, I didn't read that at all. You know? No, no. So I'll, I, I do want to say this one thing. I feel like since the original show up until now, th- there's a lot of like, um, how do you call it? Like, like, uh, there's a lot of little like strange beliefs and customs, right? In, in, in game of, in the game of Thrones world and kin slaying as in killing your own kind, right? Is, or family is a very big no, no in Westeros. So I feel like that's one of the reasons as to why Rhaenys didn't just pull the trigger right there and, and you know, have them all burned. She would be committing mass kin slaying right here on one hand. Um, because there's a connotation. Remember, like even like going back to the original show, Tywin Lannister hating his son Tyrion so much, made sure to never actually himself kill Tyrion. Right? He would like make his life miserable and have all these like plans and stuff, but he never did it because it's it's family's family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, similarly, you have earlier in the series a line from um, the, the the head of uh, Roose Bolton. Talking about the you know the, the importance of not killing your kin when he's referring to his uh, his son Ramsey. Um, so I think that world in that world that's kind of like a really really big you, you you know line that you just don't cross. So I feel like that's also it serves as an explanation here too, right? Because obviously yes, it would have been a great opportunity to get rid of all your enemies in one shot, but they have customs and stuff that they still kind of adhere to. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point. I think also in Game of Thrones, like Rob killing or beheading uh, the, the Car Stark. Yeah. yeah, and that's like that's when Bolton says like, and that's the moment that he lost the war, like when he when he married that girl, but really when he beheaded his, you know, his family. Yeah. Um. So that's a really great point. I I definitely see that. Um. I didn't see, I didn't view it as like a let's just have a a woman on a dragon's back roar and that's like a girl power moment that i think that's kind of like beyond what uh what these shows try to accomplish i think they're just trying to set up a strong fantasy world um which is yeah, interesting commentary when it's like remember after episode 1 after the forced c section where like everyone's like oh this show's like only like you know putting women in the worst light and like giving them no authority. And now it's like, Oh, this show is like too pro woman. Like where are fans <laughs> at with this thing? There's a lot of that recently. And I feel like, like I get it because there's been some points in pop culture, right. That kind of force it a little bit too much. And I want to be careful about saying force because I feel like it's not like, not that I'm saying like anybody's stuffing it down somebody's throat, but I feel like there's ways to do it that don't feel as corny as the way that it's handled elsewhere right yeah it's a difference between doing it because it's a box you have to check versus like one that makes sense because like we have these characters available to us we should utilize them like right it there's a big difference there so i don't i didn't view it as that it is confusing because it's like she could have it's the idea with like the soldier who charged at robert baratheon like tried to end the whole war early it's like it could have been the moment there where she just like takes them out of power where New York gets to step in 
and there's no feud and Rhaenyra can set us up to survive the long night that's going to come. So I get why fans would be upset, but then it's also like, all right, great. You don't get another two more seasons. <laughs> right. Rhaenys just gave us three more seasons of content here, right? <laughs> like, praise this queen. <laughs> yeah, I I also view it. I, I like what you're saying with the, the kin killing uh, sin. I think it's also an element of like what I was saying, where it's she doesn't have love for either side. She just wants to get out of there, go see her granddaughters, and like make sure they're safe. Yeah, yeah. I know in the book she she claims um, allegiance to Rhaenyra, but I feel like it's also like she's kind of stuck that in that path anyway, right? Because. Well, now she's certainly stuck that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but also like the, the wishes of, of Lord Corliss also to be taken into account there. Like he, that that's that's his position. That's been his position to. Oh, have, for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the the son inherit that that uh, throne. Yeah, and and speaking of inheriting the throne, it's funny that Aemon, um, thinks he's next in line if he could just get rid of Aegon. But Aegon has two kids, doesn't he? <laughs> like, That's true. Why did they both forget in that moment, like, I'll leave, you'll never have to see me again. You will you can have the throne, I don't even want it. Which is like, that's great self-awareness by Aegon. Usually these people don't have any, like, they can't resist the power. But it's also like, you do have two kids that would then be put in charge. Like, he would have to just murder these kids and then get to be, like, fifth in line. True. Also, to the point about Aegon, you can kind of see some of that doubt go away as soon as he starts cheering for him and he takes up the black fire. Oh, a little, starts... little taste of power, and he's all about yeah. it. Well, that's the terrible thing, right? Like, you can't put a person that doesn't know anything about or being loved in a position of that much power and then expect them to be okay. <laughs> you know, like, it, I think we're going to see similar to, to Joffrey, like, the between Aegon and Allison, that's the type of relationship that's about to form. I feel like. Yeah, for sure. It's tough to put a collar on a dog once you put a crown on it, right? Yeah, yeah. As 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 Lord Tyrion would say. Yeah, he he gave us the best lines. <laughs> In those early seasons, yeah, I agree. Honestly, every season, he's probably like my favorite throughout the whole thing. He should have been on that throne. <laughs> No, no, it it should have been. Uh, what's his name? Brand the Broken. No, definitely not. <laughs> what was the the other bastard's name? <laughs> John John Snow. No, 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 the one who slept with Arya. Oh, Ramsey, <laughs> Ramsey Bolton. No, not Bolton. Oh <laughs> no, the Baratheon kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gendry. Gendry. That was it. There you yeah. go. He should have been it. That would have been the perfect parallel. Is like start the season with the Baratheon king who is terrible at it and wanted it, and then end it with a Baratheon king who didn't want it but would be good at it. That's true. It would have just been, you know, so symmetrical. Just even if you take Tyrion's words for it, everybody else in that room or that uh, little panel they had going on there had a much better story than than Bran. So, <laughs> well, like, Bran did have a good story, but it's also like. He's not fit to rule. I'm I'm sorry, I'm Team Sansa on that one. <laughs> Look, Bran had a good story up until season four. And then it went away. And he was gone for like two seasons. 
So we, we should do a whole episode on just ranting on this. I feel like no matter what side of the aisle you're on, whether you love season eight or not, I think all of us agree that was the worst choice to put on the on the on the Iron Throne of the day. Yeah, and just ship your best asset above the north above the wall. Like you gotta keep John here. All right. That's that's your star player. You gotta give him the big bucks, give him the contract extension, and let the ball feed through him. Exactly. Now I wanna end this with this one point for me. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going with it. And we purposely like avoided this topic. (laughs) I just think if you're a fan of Matt Smith, Morbius is right there. (laughs) Oh, okay. I would rather talk about that than what I, where I thought you were going to go with this. Where did you think I was going? There was an incredibly awkward part of this episode. (laughs) I almost skipped over. The most controversial part about this, thank you for bringing it up. Let's talk about this. Why don't you describe things for us? I, <laughs> I leave this to you. I looked down at my phone for a second. At in your this, phone? What yeah. <laughs> no, at my phone. <laughs> for like a second, because it was getting slow, a little boring. I look back up, and I just see Allison looking the other way with her socks off. Just her socks. And then I see this weirdo just J-O-ing. It was giving me um, New York City subway after 11.32 p.m. <laughs> on a Thursday night feelings. On the 7 line? The, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> the 7 line. That's where it always happens. <laughs> it's true. That's seven true. seven. See, I have no idea how you would know that or properly guess that since you barely went on the train. No, no. I Yeah, there would be no reason for me to know what goes on on the 7. That's, yeah, no. Uh, It was so weird. And, like, it's so funny that Allison calls Rhaenyra, like, a whore, essentially, for sleeping outside of her marriage when she's, like, trading information for basically becoming an object of desire. Look at her, like her self-riches um, behind, I guess. Uh, and, and and she was quick to upload all this stuff onto OnlyFans. Like, look at her. With, with freaking Lord Laris as her one subscriber on there. The, their relationship is just so weird because it's like, you think it's just about him, you know, like kind of like idolizing her and wanting her to be more in power and also wanting to elevate his own status along the way. And then she kind of rejects him a little bit where she doesn't want to play dirty. She wants to, you know, rise to the top the right way. And then six years flash by. We don't get to see what happens. And then this is apparently how those six years evolved between the two. I mean, you know, have you ever had a, like, um, have you ever had a work relationship that just goes on for six years and then, like, all of a sudden, you know, She's still rejecting you, and then you're just, like, in the corner. No, I haven't had that. And then one day she just takes off her socks in the middle of the workplace, and you're just like, oh. So you just take a quick peek, and you're like, oh, interesting. Do you think it's because, like, he's got a foot fetish, or because he has a bum foot and is jealous? (laughs) I mean... (laughs) 
I don't know, man. I don't know how fetishes work. <laughs> sure like... you do. Just this is the time to talk about it, man. No one's listening. Don't worry Listen, about it. Just because I like gushers sometimes, right? Yeah, weird Ooh. times. It just <laughs> is perfectly is that a fine. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it would be. I'd be remiss to talk about fetishes and explain to them. And explain but what them. what was like the intel she was getting that he was? Because I honestly was like, I brushed this scene aside. It was that he's gonna figure out how the web of spiders infiltrated the red keep, right? Uh, well, he told her that there, but he also like basically said he he would get rid of them for her, which he so, did. So like he hasn't done anything time. yet. And this dude's, and she's like cool with this arrangement. So I guess it's like a pay up front type of thing for her. Basically, she like Apple paid him right there. <laughs> Let me Venmo you. She airdropped a couple of quick picks real quick. You see how fast he burned down uh, Miseria's little house there of spies? Yeah, this dude really only has one way of murdering people: is just light them on fire. For real, that's like his go-to. Maybe he's got a fetish about fire too. Pyromania. Well, isn't his house sigiled that he just created, like the Firefly? <laughs> that's very on, on brand, I guess. Yeah, true. <laughs> it's it's kind of lame as as far as like you have houses of dragons and dire wolves, <laughs> and then you have like a Firefly. I think we could finally put to rest, though, all those people that are, like, saying, oh, like, this is the Lord Baelish of this series. He's not. I don't remember Lord Baelish doing any of that. I mean, he <laughs> was obsessed with Cat. Sure, but they never showed the, like, creepy extent of it. They were good The man owned a brothel. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, sometimes I question the decisions of the producers of this show. Because, like, they, they didn't really, like, they made a quick cut when, um, uh, when Damon's uh, wife, I'm forgetting her name right now, uh, Lena, when she has her dragon burn her, it's a quick cut to his reaction, right? Mm-hmm. Like the camera doesn't hold on it. Like it's too gruesome. We don't want to hold the frame there. But we will show you a minute, and a, a minute and a half of awkward silence and foot fetish activities. It, it yeah. just like I just don't know where the reasoning on here comes. <laughs> Well, it is really interesting because we were talking about Allison's relationship with Otto, her father, where she's not it, clearly not the one in power of making the decisions. And it feels like this is kind of the same where she's not in power of this relationship other than like, yeah, she is obviously the object of desire between the two. But ultimately, she doesn't really she can't command this guy to go, hey, go destroyed this web of spiders i want like she has to like pay for these things she's right. not really a ruler you know let's go back a couple episodes and, and look at how damon and rhaenyra both plotted the whole Lenor uh disappearing act there yeah that like that's re- real rulership is like we'll come up with our plot and then have it executed and we don't owe anyone anything people owe us because we're in charge and I think it also speaks to like when she starts breaking down and crying in front of Viserys's body earlier in the episode, right? I feel like for this whole time, 
he's basically been her excuse to not really play the game too much, right? She's kind of a participant in it, but she's also not moving too many pieces. It's mostly her father. But I feel like the death of Viserys now pushes her to the forefront of things where she, you know, this is the time that she really does need to take leadership. She needs to put herself in that spot. Um, and I feel like her crying over that might be for, to some extent, it's over um, you know, the affection that she had for Viserys, but I think it's also mostly the responsibility that's now weighed upon her shoulders. Yeah, she's clearly not ready to play the game. But she is ready to start an OnlyFans account. I mean, you gotta make the money once once you lose your hubby. There's no shame in it. I'm just saying, you know, if you got it, just, you know, good for you. You can do what you want. But... <laughs> <laughs> there sounded like judgment there. No, nah, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. For... Okay. I got my PayPal ready. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I think on that note, it's time to, to end it. <laughs> it is. Well, I do want to take you, get your take on one quick thing. Though, yeah, because you don't want to end on you talking about subscribing to Allison's OnlyFans. I mean, I would if she, if she if it was a thing, you know, just saying. All <laughs> right, move along, man. Just <laughs> ask, ask your question. Um, shifting gears a little bit to uh, Warner Brothers and, and all this stuff, there's a rumor... And I, I don't always like to talk about this kind of stuff, but I, I do just kind of look at your perspective on this because, you know, it pertains to Game of Thrones. But there's rumors that uh, they're talking to Henry Cavill about uh, starring in a role in season two, I'm assuming as a Targaryen of some sort. As the Witcher? Right, like, <laughs> that's where I was going to go with this. I was like, <laughs> how many characters with white hair is he going to play? I mean, I would love Cavill in it. Here's the thing, though. I feel like Game of Thrones and, and House of the Dragons is designed to bring us no-name actors and let them become somebody through it. Like, Kit Harington before this was in a few projects, but you really only know him from this. And same thing with, like, Amelia Clark. Right. Uh, the only one I can think otherwise is probably Sean Bean, who was only in it for a season. And probably was there just to like make sure there was some credibility to the cast. I don't really want to. Sorry, but they have a few actors of like high caliber. They're not well known in the sense that they've been in a lot of action thrillers. Sure, but but they're well known in like some of the more. But like Cavill to me is like, it's like if I if they went out and got like The Rock to be in it, right? (laughs) Like right, like superstar quality. Right, somebody that's like really well known and recognized by, you know, um, probably like a millennial down generation. Right. It's it it feels true. desperate. It's true because, like, I think like Game of Thrones does a good job of bringing in high caliber actors too, but there's some of the ones that are not like relevant to like the younger generations. Like we had Charles Dance as Tywin Lannister last. In, in, in the last show, like he right. he was a he's been in a lot of amazing things. Here you have uh, Patty who plays uh, Viserys. He's been a really high profile actor. Yeah. In that regard, and Reese Ifans who plays um, Otto Hightower, which before this the only other like big pop culture thing he was in was um, Amazing Spider-Man as as uh, Kurt Connors as the Lizard. All right. Yeah, it's hardly recognizable because they have two very different looks, but <laughs> same dude. I can make you pretty. <laughs> By what? Turning me into a lizard? How'd you know? Uh, 
No, but that being said, though, I also think there's not a better person you can cast because we all know Cavill's like a super nerd, loves to game, loves this like, you know, fantasy sci-fi genre. So I think if you're going to put someone in there, at least do someone who would appreciate it and like really do well by it. So he looks amazing as the Witcher. I think he would also look good then as as a Targaryen or a, a Valerian, maybe. Well, he's, yeah, I, I was kind of thinking, because there's been a lot of talk of the Song of Ice and Fire and Aegon the Conqueror, like, wouldn't it be cool to have him in flashbacks as Aegon the Conqueror? I feel like that would be a perfect <sighs> fit right there. Are they not? Yeah, because you said that they're kind of setting these up as, like, different seasons or, like, different story arcs, right? Yeah, they're trying to make this an anthology series. But I feel like if if if, for, if nothing else, if we're just going to get flashbacks to Aegon the Conqueror, I would love to have Henry Cavill play Aegon the Conqueror in flashbacks. If that's all we're getting. I don't know. I think I'm the other way. I think I would rather have him as like a, a strong recurring weekly role than being like the Ed Sharon showing up once in a while. <laughs> like It made no sense to have him randomly appear in the woods. Uh, other than just having like a star who appreciates the show be there. True. I just think it's going to be a little hard with him taking the role of Superman back. Um, so oh, I, give I, that I, up. No, he is he is back. No, I'm that, telling him to give that up. I know oh, he listens to us. <laughs> <laughs> no, like if because since he's back, I don't know how many projects he signed on for for that. So that's why I'm like trying to connect all the pieces, and I'm like it would make sense if it's some sort of like minor role but like i wouldn't hire henry cavill to play somebody who's like minor character so yeah you know if we go that route i i do hope that we get a flashback with Aegon the conqueror and if we go that way then i think henry cavill would be perfect but... that would be interesting to watch um so we have what one episode left for this this season one more and we're in for a pretty pretty big one i think yeah they can't have back-to-backs where we don't see rhaenyra so i feel like that's a the only safe prediction yeah. No time jumps, though? I feel like that's the only thing we can predict, right? I mean, I I, I feel like I shouldn't predict anything, because I know <laughs> I know what's happening next, right? But um, uh, I, I think we'll see the final setup for the actual war, and I think, you know, similar to what we predicted before, I feel like Season 2 is going to kick things off with the actual war. I just need more than, like, one scene of a dragon. Because we went, like, two weeks without it, yeah. For like a week and a half without it. And then this one is like the last two seconds. I also can't wait two years, which is what ultimately is going to be, right? Like the wait for the next yeah. season. Like this is different than Rings of Power where they've already shot like a significant number of uh, episodes for the next season. Yep. But, you know, I, I don't know. It, it, it does give me some comfort to know that apparently they're increasing the budgets for next uh, season. So those war scenes and those battle scenes are going to look really, really good. They'll probably be in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> That's their thing. <laughs> We're probably going to spend an entire episode focused on um, Laris's obsession with Allison's feet. Oh, man. Can't wait. Oh, kind of feels like this episode. The 8K. <laughs> 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 and on that, with, with your foot obsession, we're going to end it. We're going to put our foot down yeah. <laughs> it is our Achilles heel it, uh... oh boy 
Uh, no, we'll come back for the last episode, and then I think we're going to do a Rings, and pa- Rings of Power, uh, just a series recap of our thoughts. So yes. we'll we'll be back with a few more episodes coming up. Uh, otherwise, you know, you know, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.